Screening grants. If you're like me, this was your first introduction into the world of NIH. But what exactly are these training grants and how are they different from normal research? Uh, what should we know about them? What, what is the importance of mentorship? My name is David Kossub, and let's discuss this on NIH's All About Grants. From the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland, this is All About Grants. Well, welcome to the show, everyone. I am glad to say that we have two guests for this conversation about training grants here at NIH. We have Dr. Maria Carranza. She is a senior training officer with the National Institute on Aging. And we also have Dr. Kenneth or Kenny Gibbs. Uh, he is a branch chief who focuses on training grants at the National Institute of General Medical Sciences. And I welcome you both to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you. Wonderful. Um, so let's just start off with the bigger picture. What exactly are these training grants and how do they actually fit into the wider goal of supporting the future workforce? Yeah, David, that's a great question. When people think about NIH, they think about the research that we fund and the cures that we help advance through that research. But you know what? All research is done by researchers. And so NIH <laughs> recognized that you don't just need to have good research. You need to continue to help cultivate future researchers. And that is where training grants come in. We don't just give money for research, we give money to institutions to then identify and support undergraduates, predoctoral and postdoctoral scientists, so they can get the skills that they need to then take leadership roles within the biomedical research workforce, whether that is leading their own research group, teaching future students, or even maybe working at the NIH on these issues. But this is a really important aspect of what we do here at NIH is uh, using these grants to fund future researchers. Uh, well, thank you very much, Kenny, for that explanation. Um, I guess the next question I have is like, what is unique about these training grant applications? And you know, how are they different from, say, like an R25 or a research education grant? You, you mentioned focusing on the, on the workforce, but maybe you all can both kind of talk about that a bit more. Thank you, David. Training grants and R25 awards are very similar, but at the same time, they have certain differences. Training grants can be focused on a particular um, career level of the trainee that could be undergraduates or predoctoral students or postdoctoral researchers. And institutions receive a certain number of slots that they can offer to prospective participants at these career levels. And in these training grants, trainees will conduct research as part of their experience as a T32 or other type of award appointee, but the T32 grant application is focused on the training program plan rather than on the research strategy like traditional research project grants. And as I mentioned, similar to the R25 awards, these are institutional awards that offer research experiences to individuals uh, rather than funding individual researchers. And both typically offer, in addition to research experiences, uh, formal coursework and other types of training to prepare the next generation of researchers. And uh, training appointees are typically work full-time and that is actually a requirement of training grants. I'll just add to that, right? Um, I think highlighting what Maria said, you know, training grants tend to be full-time, um, appointments so people are on that uh, 40 hours a week, you know, nine, 12 months. Um, uh, R25s are quite flexible. So those are research education grants. Those are used across the institutes for a wide variety of functions. At NIGMS, for example, we have one that supports postbacs. 
because they're not students, so they can't be part of NRSA uh, programs. We also have others that say, hey, put on some courses to help researchers develop new skills. And those can be sort of short-term coursework. And so really, I think training grants are often a little bit more of a structured full-time program compared to R25s, which can have some structures, but they often are much more flexible in how they're utilized. And just for clarification, NRSAs, National Research Service Awards, and and T32s are a form of NRSA, just for for the audience to to be familiar. Um, And so so thank you all both for for explaining that a bit more and maybe getting into a little bit more Maria was talking about with regard to the training plan, you know, what else should a researcher be thinking about when they're they're putting together the actual application? What should they be focusing on? What should they be looking at? How should they be interpreting this or presenting this information? Yes, I, I would say, you know, Marie made a great point. For research grants, we think about the strength of the research. For training grants, we think about the strength of the training program and experience. So what you're really thinking about is, is this a coherent experience for people at this training stage where they get skills that will help them to move forward um, in their careers? And I think it's important to really look at the program-specific goals because the training grant is a type of mechanism, but each program will have a certain type of goals. Our undergrad training programs at NIGMS, which are the only undergrad training programs at NIH, really focus on expanding opportunity, promoting broader access within the biomedical research workforce, and preparing people to go on to get like a PhD or MD PhD so they can be competitive for subsequent awards. A postdoc training grant, for example, might be helping people who have clinical experience, get some additional research experience, or a postdoc get some, you know, focus attention in this area, some certain skills development. And so what you need to think about is, you know, what's the funding announcement asking, but is this a, a coherent cogent program of training. They're not meant to be sort of scholarships or financial aid um, to subsidize uh, students and postdocs doing research. They're really actually meant to have a, you know, again, curriculum. There can be um, courses, opportunities to go to conferences and present their research, gain additional skills. Um, You also want to think about who the mentors are and not just necessarily people who have a lot of NIH grants, but people who have a commitment to mentoring future researchers and have skills in mentoring those researchers. And then do you actually have a pool of trainees, right? Because you need a pool of trainees, you need strong mentors and a coherent program. That's often what uh, we see in the strongest training applications. Um, Maria, did you have anything you wanted to sort of add to that? Absolutely. In practical terms, uh, researchers should be thinking about the number of slots that they are requesting and how well justified those are. And then more big picture, researchers should be thinking about how supportive is really their environment in order to provide these uh, enriching research experiences to students and postdocs and for them to be successful, coming from a very wide uh, range of backgrounds. And also researchers should be considering what measures will they have in place to ensure that trainees will receive strong mentorship and will be kept in a nurturing environment and safe from any toxic environment. So it's a lot to definitely be thinking about as you're putting together this application. I assume that the peer reviewers are kind of looking at these same sorts of things, making sure that they're hitting on these important points. Maybe y'all can, can talk about that a bit more and like specifically if it raised possibly like a new application or even a competing application who wants to get funding again. And likewise, you know, like if someone didn't get funding, how they can respond to the reviewers critiques, like what would you recommend? 
Certainly. So in general terms, for both new applications and renewals, or even revisions, um, reviewers are taking a look at both at the training program and the environment. And the structure of the proposed program, including courses and experiences for trainees, as well as strong institutional commitment. The reviewers are also going to be looking at the training program director or, or principal investigator in what is their scientific, administrative, and training experience to provide the overall coordination for the program. In addition, Reviewers are strongly interested in knowing about the diversity of the trainee pool and the uh, preceptor or mentor faculty, and what has been the success of these individuals in promoting uh, the growth of uh, previous trainees, if any. Um, and then again, as Kenny mentioned, you know, the pool of trainees and that there will be uh, a wide pool of trainees that can take advantage of the proposed program the training record of the institution, the theme of the overall training program is very important, especially if the application is going to a specific institute. Uh, for example, the National Institute on Aging, we want to make sure that the theme really fits within the mission of the institute. And then of course, uh, strong evaluation plans and feedback loops that will allow the program to learn Learns, learn as it goes along and make adjustments as needed. Um, yes, and, and then for renewals, it's really important to uh, show evidence of success of the program and also of the trainees that have gone through the program. Where are they now and how has the program specifically facilitated or enabled some of that uh, progress and success? And then again, as I mentioned, how the program has learned from itself and its record and has made improvements along the way. And then if an increase in slots is in the number of slots is required, how well justified this is and how more students are going to be uh, interested and offer these new slots. Kenny, would you like to add anything? That, that, was, that was great and comprehensive. I, I always add a few things. When you talked about um, renewals, you talked about success. And I think really um, making sure that the outcomes are framed within the context of the goals of the funding announcement. And so are we seeing the trainees appointed being able to, for example, develop skills and you know conduct research in a manner that is consistent with their training stage. So it's an undergrad program that's like, hey, maybe you were able to go do a summer experience and then present that at a conference as an abstract. That's great. Postdoc programs, you expect probably a little bit more in terms of research productivity and maybe more tightly aligned career outcomes. That said, um, and this is one of those things that has been out there in the community, you know, success doesn't just mean everybody has a first author publication in a single word journal and then goes on to get and RO1 from NIH. That mm -hmm. is one metric of success. That is not the only metric of success. Um, and again, whether you're new or renewal, I think framing what you're doing in the context of what is already happening. And so sometimes you say, hey, we have a lot of great stuff happening. NIH funds will help us to intensify those efforts all the more, right? Sometimes you say, hey, we've identified that we have this need and these funds are really needed to help us pull 
pull the various communities together to successfully recruit and and sustain this diverse pool of scientists who will be um, you know future contributors to the NIH funded workforce. So I just really want to make sure that uh, we think about what the outcomes are. And it's like everything else. If you have desired outcomes, say these are my goals for the training program, make sure that the underlying components align with those goals, right? Um, it's pretty straightforward, but sometimes, you know, people have goals. Goals are proposed that either are deemed not realistic or even if they are realistic, the underlying activities aren't clearly connected to the outcomes. Hopefully, people can see hosting a, a podcast series as a, as a success for a former trainee. <laughs> so I, I, I jokingly say that I'm I'm a proud failure of NIH's training programs uh, because I hear I'm here overseeing very very many of them. Um, but it's just to say seriously, there are lots of positive outcomes, and we don't have to. Um, you know, if you're continuing to contribute and sustaining NIH research, NIH relevant research. Some people do that by leading their own research groups, but the NIH does not administer itself. You need people who are here to help move that mm -hmm. forward. And even, you know, industry um, and other careers that are really utilizing and leveraging the training that you get to further the NIH mission, which is advancing and applying research for the benefit of all. Well said. I hope folks have enjoyed this part of the conversation, learning more about what you should be doing when you're putting together your training grant application, as well as how peer reviewers may be thinking about it. Join us for our follow-up conversation when Dr. Gibbs and Dr. Carranza will be speaking more about mentorship and what trainees should be thinking about, and also what you should be reporting back to us after you receive a training grant award. This has been David Kossub with NIH's All About Grants.